Welcome to discussions of music, healing, and consciousness with your hosts, Chris Noble and Bill Prosman. In today's episode, we're talking all about creativity, creative blocks, and creative flow. When you're feeling stuck in your creative flow, how can you get out of it? What are different tools and ways in which you can find your creative path? We'll also talk about when you are in flow and how that feels, ways to maintain it, ways to find it, and of course, ways to not beat yourself up when you can't find it and you are experiencing creative blocks. Bill and myself will be sharing our experiences with creative blocks and how we were able to overcome them. We'll be diving deep on creativity and how it is an innate part of being a human being. Why is it that all humans are creative beings? We'll be going into those topics and many, many more, as always, in our open conversation here on discussions of music, healing, and consciousness. So I'm working on a new project, and it's it's fun, but it's really challenging, and it's um, it's a breathwork modality that um, I I basically write each um, kind of down to the second. Uh, in terms of the timing and and all that, like the music has to dictate the intervals of when everything changes, and it's great, but it's it's a real challenge right now, and it's it's fun. But I've had these moments I haven't had in a little while where you you know when you have a creative project, and this could be anything outside of music, uh, it could be anything that just requires that creative right brain, right? And when you're when you're getting into a challenging project that you've never really done before, you're in new territory. There isn't necessarily a tried, tested, and true way to do this, so you're really pioneering something what what do you find you can do when you hit i don't even want to say writer's block because i've already um i've got some experiences that already happened to me today that i'll share later that i've I've already worked through a bit of that but it got me thinking like when you're in a creative let's say conundrum and you're like how do i how do i figure this out how do i you know solve this musical solution what do you find you how do you get through that like what are your techniques maybe for getting through let's, let's call it writer's block for lack of a better yeah it's got a good way to uh funny you should ask <laughs> or maybe not it, it's it's divinely inspired that you should ask i had a call last week with a guy who um, introduced me to a book i didn't know anything about called the tao of physics so tao of physics it was written in the 70s so the writer takes the perspective of someone who was acquainted with leading edge physics as they were in the 1970s things have moved along a lot. But the idea is that there's a coincidence of the mystical and the scientific. And even though the book is a little bit old in terms of its scientific point of view, the understanding of that coincidence is sort of, it's present. We all know about that, right? And it's a it's an intriguing book. I, I got it on Audible. I got the three-hour version. There's a nine-hour version too, but I wanted to get the essence of it. And it turns out the three-hour version was also done contemporaneously with the book as a cassette tape set. So, you know, we, we didn't have Audible back in the 70s, but you could do cassette tape. So the, the narration is condensing the book down. And um, it brought to mind something that I'd forgotten, which is how to shift consciousness to from the, from the linear to the nonlinear. A long way of answering your question but it reminded me of something that I've been curious about for a long time, the koan, the the Buddhist koan. Things where there's a paradox that has to be embraced, but not resolved. And um, I guess the the koan is a tool for being able to get through that. Like the one that came up in the book was, what's the sound of one hand clapping? You know, the sound of two hands clapping. What's the sound of one hand clapping? 
And uh, that made me think because I too, at this very moment, funny you should bring it up, um, am sort of faced with this place. I've been working on a, a short one act play and uh, the character is stuck in the middle of act three and I'm not sure where he's going to go. <laughs> you know, and I'm not getting any information, but I, I am very much in the mind of saying, okay, here we are in this paradoxical moment. The answer, if there is an answer, is not really the thing so much as embracing the moment. And I, I find, that. you know, you can't really say I need it by Wednesday and have that happen. But if you're in the place of, of creativity, you know, trying to force the thing to work isn't going to work. But allowing it to happen uh, it probably will happen. So many times in the course of my life and probably in yours, a walk in the woods has been the thing that opens it up. Uh, the psychologist who invented or discovered or rediscovered EMDR was taking a walk in Central Park when the whole notion of eye movement, the sensation reprocessing kind of flooded in on her and she realized that she had something, you know, wow. not something new, but something ancient that actually works now much better, you know, than it ever knew. It's necessary. And, and I think yeah. that that is the key. Like the necessary thing is just waiting right there. It's getting, getting out of out, the way. Getting out of the way. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. It's getting out of the way. Taking my hands off the piano and saying that, you know, it doesn't matter how much more I play right now, nothing good is going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, I got to go, got to do something else. Take a walk, you know. Um, and this is true, I think, for all creative types. I've been on walks with my wife, Rebecca, when she's had inspiration hit that she wouldn't have had without the walk, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not saying walks are the way, but, um, and by the way, please don't do what I did and go look up the answer to that koan because it is a really remarkable thing if you process it through and really work for the answer, right? And, and once you feel like you've got it, then go ahead and look it up. That's fine. You don't need a, a Buddhist master you know, telling you not to. But the unexpected moment of creativity is, is the one that we're after here. Mm. And th they can't be forced. You know, they can't no. happen. Um, they, they often happen in collaboration, though, I find. So if, like, I'm working with somebody and, and it's live and, you know, and it's where are we going next? You know, maybe the thing that happens is somebody in the audience coughs and that that's the impetus for the next moment of musical genius that takes place. It's not anything that we're bringing to it. It's that thing created yep. the opening, right? Um, so, I mean... Yeah, that's great. No, I, I appreciate that, Bill, because like I'm just absorbing your answer there because it's uh, it's always refreshing to hear from another creative what their process is. And and I always maintain with with my friends from all walks of life, they could be engineers, accountants, whatever, not artistic you know, individuals, not in terms of working in the arts. Uh, I say to them that like, creativity is, is life. I mean, like we are sure. create, we are creative, we're creators, we we're all creative beings. So to think that what you're saying only applies to the arts, for example, is obviously not correct. It applies to everything and we could be in tech and you're up against some sort of, you know, hurdle for the development of some new piece of technology. Well, how many times have you heard those great minds that go on a walk or take a nap or, yeah. you know, play, some, play a video game, read a book, you know, go have lunch with a friend, like shake it up. And then all of a sudden the answer comes, you know, in that moment of not thinking about 
the issue, the challenge, the problem, right? And that's exactly what I experienced today, right before our our, our call here, basically, is that I, I woke up, I'm like, you know, I really want to get a good start on this piece. And I woke up, I'm like, man, am I ever not in the mood to write this, <laughs> this music right now? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and you're just feeling it and you're like, well, I could force it. I could force myself to write this, but I'm lucky enough to as well be in a situation where like the deadline is more or less self-imposed. It's there from the client, but there isn't like, it needs to be done at 7 PM on Friday, like that kind of a deadline. And when those happen, those are still there, but there's usually time. You usually have time to take time. If that makes sense, you have time to, to not just put your nose to the grindstone and start working away at it. You have time to to stew and meditate on that situation and not come at it immediately and just work, 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 work away at it with all the left brain and logic and all that stuff without that, that creative heart and soul kind of aspect of it. So I took my time. (laughs) I, I listened to myself. I was present with that. I was like, okay, I'm not feeling it. I went for a walk. Um, ended up going on another zoom call with a really wonderful human talked about great stuff, much like we discuss here and went into my own rabbit hole. didn't think about the, the, the project at all. And then I was listening to um, a really phenomenal new, brand new album from John Hopkins. And we've discussed him in a previous episode sure, where we were yeah. talking about, um, I believe it was, it was a, uh, the psilocybin therapy or MDMA therapy, either, either, or uh, there's that article you sent me. And he was one of the featured artists because he's one of the main, the, the larger known artists to get into that new area of therapeutic, you know, psychedelic therapy music. Anyway, he just released an album called psychedelic therapy, psilocybin therapy or something, psilocybin therapy, I think. So it's a full album that he has composed to bring you through a psilocybin journey. And I was just really interested to listen to it. I, I, I played the first song and then it sent me into my own little meditative state where I started getting downloads for the meditation sort of breathwork music that I'm composing right now. So it, it, it inspired me to then add some really cool layers and elements to the song. And I got excited about the project. I was really getting more ideas and there was a good flow happening. And, and, and the key elements were that I was having fun. It was enjoyable. I was inspired. You know, the ideas were just flowing through me. I'm like, Ooh, and then that could, Ooh, and then that might sound nice. And Oh, what if I try this? And, you know, you start to get onto that wave. And then all of a sudden this, this hurdle, this challenge, this difficult assignment, all of a sudden becomes like this fun game that you're playing. And it's, a total it's game. Great. Yeah. It's great. I love it. It's so hard to put things aside because I tend to grind them out. Like I had this, I, I'm working on this music and consciousness sort of graph, if you will. It's not much cool. of a photo or meme or anything, but I'm trying to get my head around it. And, um, I got it all done. I actually recorded, you know, a 10 minute presentation and blah, blah, I was ready to release it. And then I looked at myself and I just didn't feel right about the way that I looked as I was mm. doing this thing. Mm. And that tipped me off. I was like, no, it's, it's all left brain. The, the, the spark isn't there yet. You know, it's true. All the facts are there. I'm reporting accurately from my point of view, but what I want is a compelling reason for people to want to understand that. And that compelling reason is just not there. Mm. So I sat on the project and it's been sitting, you know, on the big stack of stuff that needs to be done, waiting for that, waiting for the, you know, the spark. Mm. 
And fortunately, in that case, I can wait. I, I don't have a client breathing down my neck for it, thankfully, although I'm breathing down my neck for it, right? And I, I, I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes I need the op, this, this, the, the brilliant side of having deadlines is like, I sometimes need that for myself. I will put something on the back burner indefinitely if I don't have some kind of a self-imposed or, or, or exterior imposed um, deadline. And so having, for example, this project with a client, I'm, I'm, I'm overjoyed that someone has, <laughs> has, has contracted me in to do this. Therefore it will get done. <laughs> right. You the know? artificial deadline of yeah. it's, it's so helpful for me. So I have this balance where I'm like, I need to flow with it. It has to, I can't force it. And I definitely can't just, uh, quote unquote, like work away at it without that, again, that heart and that inspiration and that, that real flow of, of ideas. However, when there's a real deadline, you, so you're kind of balancing, I feel like this, this, you know, this world of, of right brain, left brain, right. Where you're kind of like, okay, there is a real deadline as a professional musician. I have to hit that because that's, that is my job. And I take great pride in knowing that I can do that. And I know I've always been able to hit every deadline I've ever had. And so that's great. But as you know, you're also the artist is like, yeah, but we want this to be quality and really great. And we want it to come from the soul and the heart. So, you know, you can't always just turn it on right then and there. Um, you have to flow with it and finding that, that ebb and that flow is, I feel like that is the art form is to find that middle ground, you know? Yeah, I think you're right. Cause you can practice really hard for a performance and then, you know, you're ready for the magic to happen at that moment. And you kind of hope that it does, which, you know, if you've done your work, there's no reason why it, it can't, mm-hmm. but the other kind where you're, um, creating to a deadline, like the things over once it's, once the creation is complete, mm. um, that's a slightly different kind of a thing. That's more like, you know, it, it does require more of the left brain grinded out kind of, well, maybe it doesn't because practicing is pretty left brain too. In any case, uh, you know, the finished product is going to be done when you release it, when it's, when it's out of your hands. Uh, that's a sort of kind of a different thing. And practicing for that is um, just a matter of doing it over and over, right? Doing a lot of it. Yeah. So that when you need to, that the musical flow, although, um, so I was involved in a project that, you know, it, every everybody knows the results of that. It was called Your Song, Your Story. And it was a thing that the San Diego Symphony did as a collaborative compositional experience. Hmm. And, um, you know, there were auditions and there were submissions and there was a committee and they winnowed it down to the half a dozen or whatever that were going to be in the final piece. And there was a composer that was hired, you know, a, a major name from LA who was going to show up and uh, and conduct the whole thing, you know, when it was done. And if that wasn't the piece that was so fraught and full of deadlines, I can't even begin to tell you. I mean, I, I'm glad. I, I mean, I was part of like the the committee that got to watch it all happen. I wasn't oh, cool. thankfully part of anything that had to do with making it go and, you know, or putting all the pieces together. But um, wow, what what a train wreck that must have been behind the scenes mm. to get all of these bits and parts working together and and to have the various, you know, there was like a dance troupe, two dance troops and, and extra performers. And there were wow. multiple stages in an open air environment. It was just like, it was production wise. It was monstrous as well. Mm. Did it work as an inspiring piece of music? Well, I heard it once and um, I don't know. I mean, I, to this day, I still don't know. I was too close to it. I think to be able to say mm. that I was moved in the way that you want to be moved by something artistic. 
uh, and that's probably the case for everybody else who was even doing more intense work than I was. It was just mm. like this project to get it done, you know, and make it all work. And somehow it all is going to do what it's supposed to do. Um, I mean, taking on a kind of a cultural outreach project like that to satisfy a bunch of diff disparate, you know, uh, musical, cultural, ethnic mm. uh, needs for inclusion in this one symphonic work. Oh, wow. I mean, <laughs> and, and fortunately there was a deadline because if there hadn't been, yeah. you know, that, that could have gone on forever. Years and years and years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at, at some point you're the guy with all the pieces on your desk trying to figure out how to fit it all together and turn it into something that an orchestra can play, mm. <laughs> you know? Uh, so first of all, hats off for putting yourself voluntarily into that place because, you know, big or small, it's the same process, right? Yeah. And, you know, thank heaven that whole project flew, you know, it, it wasn't a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> it, it worked. I, I hope there's video of it out. I haven't even looked. I just, I, I haven't even thought about it since the thing was done. I mean, it took sometimes. Oh, wow. 18 months. Yeah. Cause there's, there's projects where sometimes I'm like, after it's done, I'm like, I am so exhausted from all that. I actually kind of don't really want to look at it again. <laughs> you kind of, you're kind of move on and you're like, I don't really know what happened to it. Cause I paid no attention. The second it was done, I was out. But um, I realized like the gift now of having written down music to show up and perform and what it takes to actually get there, even if it's, you know, just one composer writing something. Mm -hmm. That's such a beautiful gift that the composer gives because you don't have to do all that heavy lifting. Yeah. I mean, except for the place where there's like, you know, just slashes across the page and some chords where it's up to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Most people can handle that. Right. There, there's enough equipment in the toolkit to be able to pull off a decent solo. But, um, you know, it made me, uh, sorry, Bill, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, you know, what's the most complex musical thing you can ever think of? Like musical theater is pretty crazy. So many moving pieces, but it, it's satisfying because, you know, you get a good feeling after having done it that you don't get, if it was also at the very same time, your composition, your premiere, uh, and you were the, the conductor and the stage manager and everything else to make it all go. It's like, oh, I would tear my hair out if that was the case. But showing up and make, you know, playing piano in the pit for musical theater is, is a total blast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it also just depends on, it depends on the project because I think yeah, what yeah. I've realized in the arts too, is it's sometimes really complex projects can be beautiful and amazing. And the complexity is what makes them amazing. And the other times that's the downfall of the project is the complexity. It's too complex. It's overcomplicated and it's a, it's a train wreck and you watch it and you're like, wow, this is like such a big production that I could care less about because there's no heart, there's no soul, uh, whether it's a movie, whether it's, a, you know, even a video game or a performance or a musical, it, it comes down to, it, it comes down to execution and the core idea, like the core story or the core concept, the core idea behind the whole project yeah. And I'll give one of my favorite examples is the movie series, the Lord of the Rings, like the Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings created, I think 1999, 2000, 2001. And it was arguably one of the more monumental film tasks ever, ever put together in history of film, even to this day. And there's been more complex projects, but they made three movies at once. And 
the music alone, I mean, the, the, their score over at least 90 to 95% of the, of the film, it's pretty much constantly, and it's full orchestra music. And the composer, Howard Shorey, Canadian actually, um, was he the brilliant composer. I mean, I love the music from Lord of the Rings, but sometimes he was hitting deadline crunches that they, they needed nine minutes of composed, finished orchestral music by the end of the night, and he hadn't even written it yet. Um, because they were so behind and like the time crunches of that film. I mean, every department from costumes to makeup, to the acting, to uh, post-production animation and everything else that was involved, which was every art form on the face of the planet was involved in that movie. They somehow, somehow pulled together this miracle and created, in my opinion, one of the best like film trilogies of all time. And it's a, an utter work of art. And I think one of the main reasons why it's somehow, I mean, it was like, it was like a miracle when you, when you study the story of that, that those films and how they were made, like they almost didn't get made so many times. Like it almost like to the minute almost didn't happen and yet it did. Right. And I think it's because the main thing I, I felt watching the behind the scenes of those films was the love man, was there a lot of love put into that? Like they, people cared there. There was a real culture in that crew of almost, I think a thousand core crew members to that film. I mean, they formed their own little mini company just to make those films basically. And they, there was so much love, so much dedication to the process. And of course the end result that I honestly believe it was the love of every single person involved put in and infused into that movie. And you feel it like that movie brings me to tears so many damn times when I watch it. And I, and I feel it's beyond the words, the acting, the music and all the brilliant things going on. It's the love from everyone involved. You, you can feel it, you know, like palpable. <laughs> there are like three different movie series that we own and we only own them because we watch them so much. Otherwise, we'd be broke, <laughs> you know, but um, Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit series and the Harry Potter series. Awesome. And what you've just said about the Lord of the Rings describes all three of those movies or those series of films um, in such a beautiful way. It, it The love really shows. Mm. And you know that that is sort of supporting the creative spark every time you need it. Right. Mm hmm. And what an incredible creative spark that is for all of those films to be able to do that. Uh, I, I have never had the experience of having like an entire movie waiting for nine minutes of music. I can't imagine the pressure that that must be oh like. God. But how much music? So there's what, close to nine hours worth of Lord of the Rings? Yeah. So like, real? and plus the extended DVDs that they add in an extra, usually 45 minutes on top oh, of yeah. theatrical releases. So it's yeah, nuts. Mr. Sh- Howard Shore had to write a lot of music, a lot of music. <laughs> and this is like, you know, 80 part orchestra, right. huge, like these are very complex pieces, you know, and they're beautiful. Like how does yeah. he hit these deadlines with such grace? And it's this skill. Yes. But again, he, 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 was the, the first to admit that uh, he fell in love with those books and the, the idea of the films. And yeah. he, he was, he was in love with the project. Like he how lived could you and breathed not? it. I mean, yeah. How could you not? No. I'm in love with the project. <laughs> I, I, in seventh or eighth grade, I met guys who had read all of the trilogy many times. And it was, you know, Tolkien had that effect on people. He just 
it gets into you and you want to know it's so deep and rich and world. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's this, it's this uh, way beyond science fiction. And I love about the movies in Lord of the Rings, the books talk about it too, but the movies, I did really appreciate the adaptation because they also go into um, a lot of ideas of death and love and um, consciousness, you know, like yeah. there's like the beautiful scene in the return of the King or Gandalf, turns to Pippin when the walls are being breached by these orcs at Minas Tirith and like, you know, all, it looks like, you know, all hope is lost. Right. And Pippin turns to Gandalf. He's like, he's like, I never thought it would end this way. And Gandalf turns to Pippin and he's just like, end. No, no, no. The journey doesn't end here. You know, death is just one part of the journey, you know, a part that we all must take. And he goes in to explain his experience of death and, and the, the beauty of life. And it's just like, <laughs> I I just love that these films have become icons because they're they're teaching like kids and and adults of and, and people of all ages these these are lifelong or uh, timeless truths and I think that, that in all art and all creation when you hit those timeless truths those 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 moments of wisdom that are just timeless like human connection love um, life and death these things that we've always had to deal with that's when you get the the art that will resonate. And, and I, I can really see it standing the test of time just purely because of that like idea where it comes from. We always talk about life or death experiences, you know, and um, I think the experience of creativity is a, a moment of birth mm. that we've generally in civilization kind of cut ourselves off from. Um, we still have this fear of death, but that too, according to people who've had them, the near-death experience people, that that moment of death is also an experience of birth, right? It's like not yeah. a starting over, but a starting fresh. Yep. And the moments of starting fresh are available to people who want to do the conscious journey, whether that's the shadow journey, you know, which is part of Lord of the Rings in so many ways, mm -hmm. or the creative journey, which is part of uh, your project that you're working on right now. And then... Uh, any other project that involves solving a problem, which is actually an opportunity to create a solution rather than solve yeah. the problem, right? Yeah. And it, you can solve them by applying the same old, same old, or you can really work for the inspired solution, the mm. koan, the solution to the koan, right? You can really work for that. And um, it's a different kind of work than what they teach you in school. Yep. I, I wish that they taught, I don't know, are the Lord of the Rings on any reading list in any <laughs> no they usually skip the best books i mean it's like, like harry potter should be for that matter harry potter know. should be i mean this stuff is accessible in a way yeah. that uh, most of the allegorical literature of the past hasn't been mm. and, and you know you can read it in shakespeare but for heaven's sakes people it takes some effort you can't just yes. read the cliff notes no. you'll get the story but you know memorizing the facts is not the same thing as understanding history right no, no. And, and you really have to work for those things but once you work for it and you build a habit out of it, you can lean on that habit that, and the creative answers that you need appear. Mm. I, it's really bizarre to just say that they appear like, you know, that's how it works, but that is they how do. it works. That is how it works. You're, you're, you're also opening up. I think, Oh, it's so funny when we want to solve a problem or, or we want this solution, 
the more we think about it in a way, the harder it becomes. And it's <laughs> we the think biggest ourselves into the, we, into we nothing. Do. We just think ourselves into this, into the ground. We create a little vortex, uh-huh. like going spiraling downwards as we think more and more. And how can I figure this out? Figure this out, figure this out. It's like, actually <laughs> the, the best way to figure it out is to just not figure it out is to stop thinking about it, to literally disregard it altogether and move on to something else and allow the solutions allow the answers to come to you. And when you get into that side of the spectrum, when you get that starts to kind of fall into quantum mechanics and this idea sure, of where, yeah. where, do, where do ideas come from? Like when that idea does enter your mind, it's entering your mind. It's not that your mind created it. It's that your mind received it. Yes. It's, it's receiving the information. Therefore, asking the question, where is it coming from? <laughs> you know, where is that information? Is it is it some Akashic field of information in some other dimension that we can access with our consciousness? And that's where maybe we go in our dream state, or that's when, you know, some people have had those epiphanies in those dream states, right? Are they able to access the same area of information? Is this like a sort of cosmic spiritual internet that we're uh, tapped into? Like what's going on? <laughs> right. Right. I don't know. I don't have the answers, but it's, it's fascinating. You know, when you consider the fact that everything that we can see, touch, feel, taste, experience, measure is this tiny little fraction of what's in the universe. Yeah. Um, just having to create something inside that tiny little fraction of this tiny little fraction of the universe seems like such a minuscule problem, <laughs> you know, compared know. to what's going on in a black hole or, I mean, you know, pick anything, pick anything, you know, and, and the, uh, I, the subconscious is kind of a lousy name for it, but the, whatever is happening in non-physical perhaps has solved all these problems, you know, mm. non-physical doesn't require telephone lines or the internet to communicate non-physical doesn't require grinding away on something to get the answer you know non-physical is this place where the other there are other problems that exist but they're not the ones that we're trying to solve in physical and i don't want to sound like you know um abraham here you know from the law of attraction but but i i think that that's actually true in the physical sense because the more that physics gets into it the more that they realize that it's not really about measuring what we can, it's about theoretically proving what we can't. Mm. If that's kind of a, a oversimplification, I think, of quantum physics, but but it gets the idea across. You know, there's there's quite a bit out there for which we have clues that sound like they're real. So we ought to be able to extrapolate from that what that other, that non-physical other is. Yeah. And then maybe someday we'll be able to, you know, um, move into that place and, and actually inhabit it in a way. But in the meantime, what we know makes a pretty good case for the existence of something that's a lot better than this mess we're in. Well, it's also like it, it doesn't have time as a constraint. You know, these other dimensions, if you want to call them that, or, or the ether. I mean, like these are outside of time, like time only exists in this third dimensional reality. So, you know, when you're like, oh, I haven't figured out the solution yet it's because well yeah there's a yet right yeah. um you're you're waiting around you're waiting of- around for the solution well guess what that if <laughs> if time doesn't exist in these other realms the solution has already been invented there you know what i mean it's it's already done everything has been figured out already so if you can tap into that 
that's where you can find these. And there's always a solution. There's always a solution. It's just a matter of allowing it to come to you rather than beating your head against the wall. And we have like a, we have a, a, a fairly decent equation for telling us exactly what benefit time is to us. Right. <laughs> it's mass times the speed of light. Right. You know, look at all the problems we could solve if we were able to use that effectively. And we sit around waiting for people to use that to blow atoms apart, but it's actually accessible to anyone who wants to use it. And our thoughts, you, I think, are yeah, I'm right. right, you know, right. It's the so that's time, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, how many miles per second? So um, if you work that out, and equations being what they are, you can work either way, right? So you can discover what your energy is. Or you can discover how fast you're going. <laughs> <laughs> the other, right? the other, the other crazy thing about this, this like what you're talking about, the, our senses and this physical reality is like we, and we only know a certain fraction of what it, what makes it up. The thing is, is that we're also empty space. Our third dimensional matter and reality, the thing that we call the physical world, isn't even physical. It's not even physical. It's ninety nine point nine percent empty space, man. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not even physical. So it's it's all kind of an illusion at the end of the day. Um, meaning that this, if it feels far fetched, and you're listening to this, if it feels far fetched to think, oh, I can just you know reach into the ether and grab an idea. Um, well, well, it's not. You know, like. It's actually not crazy at all. And it's been proven time and time again. All the great minds of history say very commonly, oh, it came to me. The idea came to me. It came in a dream. I was daydreaming. I was walking. It came to me. Yeah. I didn't generate it. It came to me. <laughs> and that applies whether you're Newton working on physics or um, whoever the physics physicists are. I mean, uh, how about Clee Irwin, who's working on quantum gravity with a team at Caltech? Cool. You know, fantastic. But um, there seems to be an, a need in our world for a collision. Nothing happens till particles like bounce against each other right. and then something happens. So um, in particle physics, anyway, I don't know how this works in, the, in metaphysics, but I suspect it's the same way. If you get contrast mm. into the equation, that produces a response that's going to be better than without the contrast. Yes. Interesting. Right? Yeah. And, and that doesn't, I mean, it works in the physical world too, but if you're looking for ideas, often the contrasting points of opposite in this thing are what yield the, the way forward. Yeah. And, and we talk about that paradox, you know, as a metaphor that we can talk about. Uh, paradox isn't a metaphor, but, but but paradox is our language construct for inviting that potential, right? And um, finding the conflict in music is often a matter of just introducing more tension, right? Because mm. more tension you build into something, the better the result of the release once it comes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and provided you survive the tension, <laughs> but, but that yeah. whole concept is it's there in music too. Mm. I think it's there in consciousness, but I haven't yet quite figured it out. Um, other than paradox, I I'm, um, you know, politically I'm sort of in the middle between the left and right here in, in America. And that has sort of forced me into a self-discipline of understanding as much as I can of both sides, mm. like the paradox, right. To be able to form a middle opinion about what I think. Right. And, and so I kind of appreciate that, but, but on the creative side, like trying to come up with the solution to my poor one act play right now, mm. um, 
it's it's all in your head mm-hmm. or perhaps in your heart. And, you know, I've played all the games. Like, what does the character want? Where does this melody want to go? You know, you, know, you give yourself all of the, the prompts to get there. But I think at the end of the day, it's just about building the biggest possible conflict that you can and then allowing that to inform the, the resolution. Yeah, I, certainly in the arts, certainly in the storytelling. I mean, stories live and die by conflict. If there's no conflict, there's really no story. Yeah. And I've been using these metaphors all the time for myself and for my friends when I'm we're talking through a particular, you know, day-to-day issue or, or some thing that the other person's overcoming. I always say like, well, guess what? Do you want to play the video game that has no challenges that you have all the cheats to start the game off with? You already know how it ends. You have absolutely, if you want to do that, if you do that in life, you have no life. Like that's, that game sucks. It's boring. You know, that movie has no entertainment whatsoever. There's no conflict. There's no story. Yeah. Like what happens? They, they, they have no obstacles to get over. They have no challenges ha- happening to them. There's no, there's literally no story. You know, I woke, I woke up, I got out of bed and um, I, I went to work and I came home and I went to bed. You're like, okay. And you're like, that's yeah. my story. It's like, no, it's not a story. It's more of a fact. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a fact. No, you're just stating a fact like that happened. Okay, great. No tension, no release. No story. Like where no. where is the conflict, right? And and in life we get conflict all the time, but it's instead of looking at conflict always as this bad thing, you look at it as like first of all, that's what that's what we signed up for. I mean, this is like this is what life is all about is having conflict because it because then the second thing is that you learn from conflict. Yeah. And you get to create this new result out of it, but typically that result is an understanding and a learning and a lesson that you become a better and stronger person because of that conflict. And so ultimately, is it good or bad? It just is. It's something that propels you forward and makes this way more entertaining of a life experience, you know? And it, it's so useful to know that because your judgment goes uh, out the window. Mm. When you say, okay, contrast it. And I'm choosing contrast. Conflict is a fine word too, but I'm, I'm choosing contrast. Um, to have all that contrast hitting you at once without a way out, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. So what we're talking about here is more of like a selective contrast. You're, you're organizing contrast in increasing amounts so that you can get to a place where when you do let the steam off, it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, oftentimes we have no idea when we're doing a solo or anything, how that's going to resolve. Right. It's oh, getting yeah. more and more complex and whatever and crazy. And it's like, oh, I can't keep up with myself anymore. How do I get <laughs> out of this? Right. Uh-huh. And and then magic happens, but but mm-hmm. it's necessary to push it that hard to get to the magic, you know. If you're doing yourself, um, runners high. There's another great example, you know. Uh, I haven't experienced that, but I have experienced similar things where you just push yourself to the limit physically, and then all of a sudden euphoria. Oh man, I can right? attest to that for sure. And yeah, and 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 that's something that that um, like physically we know it works, right? So the same thing happens mentally, creatively, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and inviting that, uh, well, it can be dangerous. All the stories about this, you know, the, all the movies that have ever been done about it, all of the books that have ever been written about it, um, the hero is literally in a life and death situation mm. at that moment. Because mm-hmm. that's what it feels like. You know, that in nine minutes of music needed, you know, now, uh, <laughs> right? And um, that the Tao of physics book uh, guy tells a story of a couple of physicists that I forget the name of one was Niels Bohr. I forget the other one was arguing and arguing, just trying to get to whatever it was. And then um, in the middle of the night, like going for a walk 
and having the inspiration to be able to complete that tiny bit of the equation that would lead right. them a little bit further to the next contrast that needed to be resolved, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's all like life that. is. It's just it's a like series a, of these contrasts, right? And, you know, I, it's really kind of unkind to say, but if you're not pushing yourself to the limit, why not? Yeah. And the limit right. doesn't have to be this idea of like an army drill sergeant pushing you to... No. Um, horrible limits where you're you're overexerting yourself and you're crashing and burning and burning out and all that that that's a different like we have a there's there's an unhealthy way to push and an unhealthy way to to stretch your limits and then there's a really healthy way to do it where you intuitively know that I got this yes it's going to be really tough it's going to be a challenge absolutely but I ultimately know I got this you know and so there's a fine line I think and when you can find that that fine line and, and push in the healthy sense where you're really, you are, you're creating new, new neural pathways. Every time you feel uncomfortable, anytime you feel uncomfortable, it's actually because your brain is creating new neural pathways. Yeah, you're growing. You're, all, you're growing and growing is, it's, we call it uncomfortable because it's how it feels for most of us, but it's just a feeling. Just a feeling. And, if, and we could rewire that to feel like, Oh, I'm uncomfortable. Oh, sick. I'm uncomfortable. That's great. means I'm creating new neural pathways. My brain's becoming stronger, more healthy. I'm, I'm, I'm having a more, uh, you know, fruitful experience right now. Great. I'm uncomfortable. Awesome. Right. It's, um, the, the metaphor for me is yoga. Cause there are balanced poses in yoga where I, I'm going to crash and burn every time, but I keep trying mm-hmm. and, and that showing up to do the difficult pose is how it's supposed to feel. Mm. right? You've got to feel un, unbalanced and, un, and shaky and not sure of what to do and how to work it in order to find out how your system organizes itself around whatever the thing is you're doing in yoga. I um, that. And, and, and that's, that's really spectacular once you understand that that's what's going on. It's not just like stretching or, you know, getting tired out of people still do Bikram yoga and the hot yoga and all that stuff or whatever. Mm. Um, a Kundalini yoga is a, is a murder too. If you do it the Powerful. way that Gurmukh oh, teaches us like, man. Oh my gosh, you will be tired beyond tired, yeah. but that's intentional. Yeah. It's awesome. Right? Um, all prep to prepare all this great contrast to only to prepare for meditation where there's also yeah. great contest, but it's happening up here, mm. uh, you know, in the head brain. So, uh, there, there are so many ways to seek these things out and to, to literally tire yourself out, whether that's mm. great or mentally or emotionally, whatever it is, because in that moment of exhaustion is the moment of the, insp- the moment of the inspiration. That's when mm. the, the breath returns, right? Yeah. Creation, the birth, yeah. you know, of the birth. You. Yeah. And, um, and, and this isn't something you can talk about without having experienced it. Like you have to, you have to have had the experience in order to know it and own it. Otherwise mm-hmm. you just sound fake, you know, <laughs> right. It's like, you know, a preacher that shows up, uh, you know, with the online divinity credentials and, and tries to give a sermon like, whoa, hold on a second, dude. There's something missing here. What's, what is it that's missing about this sermon is real life. Life like, experience. Having lived it, right? <laughs> Which is why we love listening to blown up veterans talk and uh, mm. you know, other people who've had so severely handicapped, um, you know, or some other way they've been com- compromised in life. And yet they've done all these things. Mm. Uh, it's so inspirational to know that that's possible for us. That we just we eat that stuff up. It's amazing. We've all mm-hmm. seen blind piano players, and oh yeah, there's a, there's that kid from Asia someplace who has like t- between both hands has about six fingers, and is playing Mozart, and it's like oh whoa, 
dude, this is incredible, or, right? Uh, painters who don't have any arms and they paint with their feet. They paint with their feet. Yeah, their mouth like, or whatever. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, it, it makes Stephen Hawking look like the genius and the monstrous guys that guy that he was in terms of being able to um, to think that clearly about mm. theoretical concepts. It's just like this is incredible, right? I mean, I love that. I guess they're average people who do that too. It just sort of you never know who they are, but um, we really don't. We, we as a civilization, we really gravitate towards the ones who have paid an obvious price for what they are sharing with us. Yeah, and and it's a it, like you said, contrast, conflict. I mean, the, those their story is richer because of the yeah. hardships that they've gone through. It's a richer story. It simply is right, um, and it makes me think another thing of of creativity, but also ways to push yourself and improve yourself. One of the things I've I think naturally done, and more recently I was more consciously aware of, which is, you know, collaborate or if it's in a sport, compete with um people well above your skill level oh sure yeah like playing tennis with the pro because that pulls your ability so forward. like exactly so uh for example this last weekend i was uh doing some brazilian jiu-jitsu with some uh really amazing humans and hadn't done any martial arts in many many years i forgot how much i love it also and uh we were i was i there's a bunch of people that we, we could pair up with. And I, I looked around and I found like the biggest, baddest, toughest guy I could find. And I'm like, okay, we got to partner up. Cause I want, I, 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 I like actually wanted to get my ass kicked so that I could improve that much faster because I'd learned that through playing competitive hockey as a teenager. And I was like, I remember going to this international hockey camp uh, with a bunch of Americans and like Swedes and Finnish kids and stuff. And it was like high end, some NHLers were there um, given like all their, their uh, tips and tricks and stuff. And I had, I was the worst player there. Like I was like, Oh my God, I thought I was good. Cause I was like the top player in my league back at home. And I went here and I was like, Oh my God, I am like nothing. These guys are so good. But after that week, I came back to my, my league and I became, I was like 10,000 times better because I was working with these amazingly talented individuals. And so it raises your vibration. It raises your level of skill to be surrounded by people that are just doing these things that you think are, wow, like, I don't even think I could do that. Great. Be around that energy because then you'll actually understand how to do that through the experience. You can't read that stuff. You have to really experience that kind of thing. You know, have, have you ever had the, the, um, I was going to say the unfortunate pleasure, but it's probably more fortunate of being like assigned to a musical project where you completely don't get along with anybody. <laughs> I've had that happen for sure. Yeah. And, and, and yet you have to create, right. Yeah. And you know, they feel the same way. <laughs> but you got to put those differences aside and somehow create something that's going to work for the situation. Right. Is it, is it better to do that? Well, it depends then on getting along. So this, for example, the guy that I picked for this Brazilian jiu-jitsu was a incredibly awesome guy. Like he was really helping me, training me really well. Um, and he was really kind and compassionate. He's also terrified, like super, super strong. I would not want to go toe to toe with this guy, but, uh, the, I liked him and we, we, we vibed really well together. So therefore I would learn, I think better with a, a more vibrational match or, uh, being with people that I get along with more. So if you get paired with people that you straight up don't get along with, I think that will affect the, the end product, but 
I don't know. Sometimes you can kind of persevere. Like sometimes I, I just, I actually just kind of like move out of the whole, like, okay, you know what? We don't like each other. That's fine. You know what? I do like creating awesome stuff and guess what? We're all going to create something awesome here. I just, I have decided that that is the intention <laughs> that is, we, we are just going to do that. No ifs, ands, or buts period. That's it. And then that's what ends kind of ends up happening. You know, I haven't I, had too much experience like that. I, but. No, I like that answer because in the world right now, we're all being forced into places where we have to do things in in ways and with people that are very different from us yeah uh in order to achieve something mm. uh, you know pick anything like climate change or whatever uh, you know half of america doesn't believe uh, that's probably an overestimate but you know what i'm saying there are people who are adamantly opposed to their climate deniers right and then there are people who who really get it like uh, greta thunberg or whatever her name is mm -hmm. from the from the netherlands uh, you know and, and yet here we are on the same rock and we have to somehow figure out how to get along. It's my thesis anyway, that musicians have more practice at doing that yeah. perhaps than other people, maybe dancers. And that if we could somehow deploy our, okay, put it all aside because we're going to create this beautiful thing together. If we could figure out how to bottle that, you know, and, and, and get it out to more people, um, we might be better off at solving some of these problems. I mean, good, good heavens. Um, where do they find, they finally had a budget in Israel and the first time in, 20 years or something. I don't know if we had a budget in the United States out of our government in a long time, but these aren't huge problems. Mm -hmm. They're very complex, but the novel creative solution just doesn't seem to exist inside of a lot of institutional um, problem-solving organizations. Yeah. Well, they're very one-dimensional with the way they yeah. tackle things. So they're just, you know? and, and, and yet, and, and we're only talking about adding another dimension, right? musicians and conscious people who are working in the spiritual world are familiar with five dimensions or more or well more. Yeah. Well, well more. more. And, and there's the, here we go back to my old question again, that, you know, how, what kind of responsibility do we have as musicians to go back and sort of pick everybody up and pull them along with us into the music, mm. you know, and, and if we extend that by, by an analogy, what responsibility do we have as human beings to sort of extend ourselves back and bring everybody along with us? I mean, within the family, you can do your best, but even within the family, some people won't go. Oh yeah. Although on a creative project, everybody goes or they're out. They're just out. You know, it's, you know, I, I think life isn't that much different. I, we like to think that um, it, 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 it is different, but especially with the world that we're living on right now, if we don't start working together, we're out. <laughs> like we're, Project's done. Yeah, project's over. Like if we don't start coming together and uh, celebrating our differences, then that is uh, a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. So to, to me, the uh, the immediate solution is, and, and what has worked for me in the past is embrace the, the differences. Instead of ignoring them, instead of uh, just viewing them as like, oh God, like how are we even gonna get along? We have like nothing in common. Great, guess what? There's a reason that you came together and we're all from the same source of creation. We all are loving beings that's, you know, even if we've been, dragged really far from that path. We all come from a corporate place of love, core place of creation and connectivity. And we are all connected, whether we like it or not. So therefore we can celebrate our differences and use them to our advantage actually. And guess what? In those situations where I thought, you know, I had the obvious right idea about the situation, I always would learn something new from some, usually from the person who I kind of disliked the most, got along with the least, you know, and then they'll present a perspective that I just will never have because my life experience is very, very different. Yes. And that, 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 
different perspective is still really healthy and still really, really important and actually can add a real fruitful layer to the project or the situation that otherwise never would have happened at all and actually was a cause of the differences. So when you think about the starker the contrast, sometimes the greater the creation could be. Like you look at those movies with the unlikely here, the unlikely uh, duo, you know, they're usually the opposite, right? Uh, right? One's really big, one's really small, one's really, really shy, one's really, really outgoing, et cetera, right? They play these polarized kind of people and you're like, how would they ever get along? And they're completely different. Well, that's why they get along so well is because they're so different. And I think if we, as a species, move into unity consciousness and understand that, hey, we are all different. Isn't that great? Thank God. I'd be bored stiff if I had everything in common with everyone. Thank God we have differences, you know? And let's celebrate that instead of being like, oh, man, how are we going to have a conversation? I don't even know. It's like, great. If you don't know, just start asking questions. Yeah, ask a question. What's the music on your heart? I mean, ask ask a skillful question. Yeah. If your if your objective is figuring out climate change, ask a question that has nothing to do with climate change yes. because you know <laughs> that's the problem. What you want to know is that you're working next to somebody that you respect. Yeah. What was the last concert you saw? You know, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Or what was the last, you know, movie that made you like ball your eyes out or yeah. made you laugh like rib splitting laughter? What's the funniest know. thing that a white person has ever done? <laughs> I mean, there there are ways we can tackle this, right? That don't right. have to be politically correct. And, um, and those are skillful ways, mm. right? Because hearing, hearing an answer to that question from someone who's not white could be eye-opening. And also at the same time, incredibly funny. And I wouldn't say that unless I asked the question and had been told. So there it is, right? Oh, so yeah, full, me too. Full disclosure, right? <laughs> and, um, and, you know, white guys, we're, we're pretty funny to the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, for a lot <laughs> of reasons. For a lot of reasons, man. <laughs> We, we are just anyway. Yeah. So there, there we go. There's, there's our conversation on um, skin color for the moment. Well, you know, I, I just think it's, it, it goes back to, again, like we, I was hearing someone talk about, you know, race recently and they're like, look, we, we should have been through this about a hundred years ago. We're about a really? hundred yeah. years, we're about a hundred years behind right now. Even yeah. the fact that we have black lives matter right now, is just, it's so like, we really should have been through this as a species about a hundred years ago. So we got to catch up to that because I'll be honest. And this was, I was hearing this from Dr. Stephen Greer, who's all about um, the disclosure movement and contact with extraterrestrials because he's like, and I think he's absolutely right. He's like, look, we're moving into a new existence where we're going to be interacting with other beings. Okay. And the idea that we can't even get along amongst each other, amongst ourselves is laughable because we're going to need to be very, um, you know, collaborative and and cooperative with one another, because we're going to need to be collaborative and cooperative with other species on other planets and other galaxies all around this infinite universe of life. And I, I know that we're going to have, uh, extraterrestrial disclosure, just my intuition, but also because of the, there's been so much more uh, attention and seriousness put towards it, towards the government and all this other stuff. So this is something that like, these ideas of race and even gender and sexuality and all the other ways that we're divided are going to be very laughable. The second we see other intelligent life and we're like, all right. And it's not. And then the the flip side is that we don't get xenophobic towards other life. 
you know, that we, oh, yes. just because you look like a, a reptilian means you're evil. It's like, well, th they might have the largest heart uh, of any of them. And they, th these are beautiful beings that have, of light and consciousness that we still need to love and respect as well. And so we got to take that, these ideas of division and, and see them as celebrations of things that are like, wow, look how different these people are. Isn't that great? Like, how much can we learn from that? That's fantastic. How much more fun is that? Right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and who cares about the danger factor? I mean, we're what? We're living through flipping COVID. You know, danger is our middle name, <laughs> right? We 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 live we, danger. Are you kidding? We do this, and, and I'm not saying throw your life away because that's a different thing too. But I think an honest conversation about what it means to really die is um, isn't is an honest conversation we need. Because mm, once you face important. that, the people with near death experiences, whatever, what they all report that once they face that, they have a whole different idea about what it means to be alive here on Earth right now. Yeah, like physically alive. And um, you don't have to have a near-death experience to really come to that appreciation. Just getting the answer to a hard musical thing that you've got to deliver on time, right? That that's almost as good yep. <laughs> as coming yep. close to death. Yep. Because, because you realize in that instant of how incredibly, what, what an incredible gift it is to be here now. Yeah. Right. And uh, those little moments, uh, let's bring those on, whatever they are. Yep. And, and if, if contrast brings them, then great. If, if an incredible moment of divine love brings them, great. You know, if it comes through music or art or, you know, accounting, uh, IT, whatever brings yep. you to that moment, seek that and find that because that's the life, that's the life spark. They, what do they call it? The all spark. That's the mm -hmm. all spark, right? That's mm -hmm. the kryptonite, whatever the thing is that makes you go, that's, that's the juice. And, yep. um, it's it's just there. I mean, there's no reason to hold yourself. It's always apart. there. It's, it's always there. there. It's always there. But we just forget. <laughs> yeah, we do a good job. Well, we do. Yeah, we discipline ourselves to not to not accept it. Really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretend it's not ways. there, and then we'll rediscover it when we leave this physical vessel. We're yeah. Like, oh, well, that, that's so interesting. That's, <laughs> that's heaven. You know, I'll get there when after I die. I'll go there. No, for heaven's sake, bring heaven to earth. You know? It's here now, right? Absolutely. And why not? You oh, know. Yeah. Why not? I mean, goodness knows, I, I wouldn't enjoy music as much as I do right now if it hadn't been for Scott Joplin. Oh, yeah? And, and why not, right? Yeah. Thank heaven. So um, whatever it is that, that brings you that joy, like, if you want to know more about that, just dig into it. Go, go, on, a, go on a search. If it's a koan, try to solve the, the, what is the sound of one hand clapping before looking yeah, it up, right? like I did, cheating, because... Because <laughs> you can't undo that, right? If it's music, dive into music. Just find out what is it about music that is so resonant for you. If it's mm. if it's bookkeeping, whatever the thing is, take it to the limit and and let yourself go there fully, mm. and, and let whatever that thing is fully inhabit you mm -hmm. as a being, so that you can be that you know, be that connected to it. And it's like um, it comes like a friendship in a way too. Yeah. You know, yeah. I feel music is a really good friend of mine. Sometimes I'll I'll not play piano for a couple of days and I'll come back. I'm like, oh, I missed you. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, I really love the melodies. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that's, it. That's the relationship. Um, that relationship, that friendship. I think that's the relationship all of us need in mm -hmm. some way with at least something, with at least one thing. Mm -hmm. Other people, eh, they, they're pretty good. They're fairly reliable. But if you have that, like with the keyboard, if you have that with with the software that you're creating if you have mm -hmm. whatever you have that's got that intimate thing that 
is your AllSpark. Mm. Isn't that like the the ultimate? Kind of the reason we're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not following your bliss. It's it's imbibing. It's befriending it. your bliss or something. Yeah. Living know? it, befriending it. And then I've heard people that like they talk about you know making love to life, you know, like romancing, yeah. romancing life. Like what I love so much about Mediterranean cultures is this like they want to romance life. Life is romantic, you know, it's this yeah. beautiful thing. It's this thing that you just like, you know, that's why meals are three hours and conversations are so long and, and in beautiful. The heart, They're right? in the heart, you know, and spending quality time, you know, not just like spurts of little things here and there and a couple zoom calls is like no we're sitting down and having a conscious time together to connect with each other and and appreciate the food that's entering our bodies and just there's this reverence for the romance of, of life and i've always resonated with that and especially in europe but the, particularly the mediterranean really has that and other, many other cultures many many other cultures around the world have that similar reverence to to life being like it's like a romance novel you know like you're yeah you're, you're courting it in some ways and you're, 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 you're being tender and gentle and loving, you know, it's like this relationship really. Right? Open arms. Right. Yeah. And, and you gather whatever comes, but you also have to let go of whatever comes because mm. you know, it, but you, you're not, you're not all closed up. You're open to it. Right. And just yeah. being open in that way is, is the beautiful gift. Mm. It's just such a beautiful gift. Oh. I love it. I can see that happening um, within my family, you know, over the course of my lifetime. Mm. I can see how that works. And there are, you know, there are examples both ways. But when you get that, like Chris just said, if you're listening to this, when you get that, um, that's the magic. That's, that's really the magic. Welcoming the unexpected, perhaps. Yeah. I know I we're coming up on Thanksgiving, so I have a, a short story about that, but it fits and it's so amazing because there, thank you, mom. My mom, who was um, perpetually happy um, <laughs> and had an awesome command of the English language, would say non sequiturs frequently. She wasn't Yogi Berra, but she had a good one every so often. <laughs> and one of the things that we would do around the family table when we were having formal dinners, because we had those meals, it didn't last three hours, but we had formal dinners regularly, mm. candles and the whole thing, was to set an extra place. And the idea of the extra place was that if anybody were to drop by, you know, then they, oh, they would be able to that. join us for, for the I meal. But mom called it the unwelcome guest. <laughs> she meant to say unexpected. I love it. The That's unwelcome. the place for the unwelcome guest. <laughs> so, thank you, mom. Thank you. And of course, the funny thing, of course, is that she meant it the opposite way. It yeah. was the welcome spot for whoever happened by. I think that's a really, that's something that my, my family did um, for Christmas dinners. We, most of the people over weren't family. They're all a bunch of friends that didn't have family to spend Christmas yeah, yeah. with. And so we would always have these unexpected guests and it made the meals so much more beautiful and amazing. And it meant so much to the people who, especially for myself this year, I'll be celebrating my first Christmas away from my family. So oh, yeah, I'm right. going to, I've already been invited to a couple of friends, Christmas dinners. And just the fact that I had those invites, I mean, like it means the world to me to be able to share that family um, and conscious, you know, space eating a really important dinner. I love the holiday dinners all year round, just because they're more, it's those rare moments we get to be intentional with our loved ones, 
and actually sit down and like spend quality time and spend some quality time on the food too, which is always a good thing. Always a good thing. Always a good thing. So, we, so I know we've yeah. given you guys challenges. One of them was to sing a love song to someone. Mm. Um, here, here's another challenge. Um, and, it, and it might, no, well, it's not too late because we've got both Thanksgiving in the U.S. anyway, coming up in Christmas, yep. um, is to see what it feels like to invite a stranger to join you for a family celebration. Mm. Maybe you don't do it, but think seriously about it. And, and stranger being someone you may have met maybe once or twice, yeah, or acquaintance, like, casual, you acquaintance. know, like an, a casual acquaintance, but you just know that it would mean something to them, or, or especially it's an easy one if you know that they don't have family, right? Um, where you live, right? Then that's that's usually an easy one to spot out. So do it, and I guarantee you will be very, very um, fulfilled. And it, it's a beautiful thing to share, I think, with people. Sure. Even if they say no or have other plans or whatever, the act of doing it, like oh, it's, for you, beautiful yeah, is is a beautiful thing too great challenge maybe, maybe dinner isn't the place maybe just invite them to church or if you're going to do something you know that's or jam. like a, or jam <laughs> a party you know. yeah come on over we're singing the om tonight you know yeah <laughs> om jam <laughs> <laughs> prepare to leave your body for the next five hours <laughs> exactly right <laughs> Thank you for listening in on our conversation and for taking time to show your appreciation with a like, share, or subscribe. Discussions of music, healing, and consciousness is a practice of spontaneity, and we welcome your comments, ideas, and questions. There are ways to connect with us in the show notes, so let us hear from you. Until next time, this is Bill Protzman along with Chris Noble wishing you great musical health. Samara Huchaya. Thank you.